Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I am Omar Bourne. And I'm Allison Panisi. And you are our listeners. And as always, we thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can. So feel free to listen to Prep Talk on your favorite podcast provider. You can also follow us on social media on our Twitter at NYC Emergency MGT, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and much more. In honor of Black History Month, we are going to be joined by Dr. Torian Easterlin, who is the first deputy commissioner and chief equity officer at the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. That's right, Omar. Dr. Easterling is one of the leading officials ensuring an equitable delivery of the COVID-19 vaccine to underserved communities here in New York City. So Dr. Easterling, welcome to Prep Talk. Thank you for having me, Allison Omar. Glad to be joining you both. Wonderful, we're happy to have you. So let's get right into it. Um, was it your dream your entire life to become a medical doctor? It's a great question. Um, I will say that you know, the, the dream started at the young age of nine or 10. Uh, so nearly, uh, nearly my whole life. Uh, something that uh, I saw examples of, uh, my own pediatrician, uh, and you know, it was something that I shared with my mother. Uh, and she really supported me even at a young age. And I think that was really important. Uh, at that age, to have someone who encouraged uh, the dream. Now, February is observed as Black History Month. So what does this month mean to you? And how important is it for us to celebrate the contributions of Black people to American history? Yeah, I, I always reflect on this question, you know, as, as it comes around each year. Um, one, because it is a moment to to take a uh, take a second to remember the contributions, as you as you said, to reflect uh, on the struggle, um, but also to reaffirm on the principles. But the thing that also strikes me is the struggle just to be acknowledged, to validate one's existence, and specifically talking about the African American experience in this country. You know, this this was a fight starting with. Uh, the the arrival of enslaved Africans on this on this country and the shores, uh, but specifically for just this month, you know, and, and going back in history to just trying to get a week, Carter G. Woodson wasn't even acknowledged in the early 1900s, uh, and so you know to to know that we now have the the month also just signifies how much of a struggle it was to be and still is to be acknowledged. Uh, and our human experience is uh, is validated, uh, and so the the important part is is you know making sure that we continue uh, to communicate, uh, to share our stories, to lift up uh, the struggles, uh, the history of resistance, but also to to know that you know the contributions of this country extend beyond just one month, right? And we need to tell our stories 
365 days of the year. Because without the experience of in the contributions and being knowledge of, of Black folks in this country, then what country, what America do we have? You know, like there's, uh, there, there is that this existence of this country is tied to the experience of African people. It's wonderfully said. You know, our country has come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. So thank you. When you look at your life and experience, Dr. Easterling, is there a civil rights activist or an African-American that you consider an influence or an inspiration? And do you have a favorite inspirational quote or a saying that comes from that individual that you would share with us? Yeah, I mean, there's so many people, <laughs> so many quotes uh, that have been inspiring, uh, you know, and so I think that um, the, the certainly my mother, Lucille Easterling, my father, George Easterling, contributed to my existence, right? And so mm -hmm. there are so many people who are going to be unnamed and not going history books. And, you know, so, you know, I'm always thankful and, you know, I'll lift up my parents and grandparents, uh, folks who have poured into me. Uh, and I think they have been and continue to be inspirations because I stand on their shoulders and I continue to feed off their wisdom and experience. So I think that's that's always important. And certainly I've had the opportunity because, you know, throughout school in the unique pleasure, which I know is not always a shared experience that from the very young age that I've always had a teacher that looks like me. Uh, and that that was able to talk about my history. Uh, and I think that's also something that I can be proud of, having gone through elementary school and high school and even graduating from a historically black college like Morehouse College, which is important because then the authenticity of that culture of our experience is validated, right, as I am learning. And so, yeah, you know, it's very easy to talk about you know, Dr. King and everyone goes to the quotes and, you know, you can talk about Tubman, so many people. Uh, but I think the quote and the phrase that sticks out in my mind right now, um, where we are in this moment in history uh, is the cries of our people during the summer after the murder of George Floyd, uh, because we, we do not want to see another black body die. and so. The phrase that we will win, right? Um, that we are more than our change. And I think that, that phrase continues to stick into my mind, even at this moment, as we're trying to get out of this pandemic, that we continue to fight for racial and social justice in this country. Mm -hmm. And I like what you said earlier about, you know, acknowledging Black History Month, not just in February, acknowledging Black history, not just in February, but throughout the entire year, because that's important to understanding the African-Americans place and role uh, in American history. And you mentioned the pandemic, and I, I want to switch gears to that. COVID-19 has magnified the inequities in our society. So uh, I'd like for you to tell our listeners more about your work that you're spearheading with the health department as chief equity officer. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thankful uh, to be working at and honored to be working at the New York City Health Department. It's been the focus of our agency for the better part of this administration uh, in, in advancing health equity, uh, addressing structural racism uh, and really eliminating health inequities. 
And so when we say that, we're talking about undoing longstanding inequities that have been rooted in racist policies and practices that also have to look at internally the ways in which organizations, government and structures are set up, but then to assure and ensure that the communities that are experiencing these longstanding health inequities um, are able to really be able to access critical resources and achieve the outcomes that they need. And so the department under the leadership first under Dr. Mary Bassett, then Dr. Barbeau, and now under our current commissioner, Dr. Dave Chofsky, has continued to be you know, really on the forefront of declaring racism as a public health issue. And although we're saying that clearly now, um, we have been saying that uh, since the beginning of this administration. And the way that we have set that up is assuring that we had an internal structure, which we called race to justice, uh, looking at three pillars, how we are normalizing conversations around structural racism and racism in gender, general, how we are uh, organizing ourselves within our agency, and how do we operationalize this work so that it's embedded into our programmatic, our planning, and ultimately the research, and, and we'll get to the outcomes. And so, you know, under Dr. Bassett, we had uh, we have a division that was formed called the Center for Health Equity. Uh, and the Center for Health Equity looked at the ways in which we talked about structural racism, the ways in which we, we set up our uh, collaborations with communities and using collective impact principles, but also having work in neighborhoods that have had longstanding inequities. And that was led by the founder uh, of, the, of the center, Dr. Aletha Maybank, who I certainly um, worked under and had the pleasure of working directly with and continue to. And so then, you know, under Dr. Chosky, Commissioner Chosky, stepping in as the first deputy commissioner, chief equity officer, my role is to advance uh, our internal work as well as our external work. So we still have the center of health equity. We, are still, we still have our race to justice management team. And so how are we aligning our internal strategies with our external strategies to assure externally, New Yorkers, residents, our audience, policymakers, that we are thinking about ways that we are uprooting and advancing, uprooting structural racism and advancing equity, but also uh, that we're embedding this work into our day-to-day -day operations. So even though our priorities right now are mitigating the resurgence and addressing the second wave of this pandemic, as well as ensuring that we are equitably rolling out our vaccine distribution plan, we need to also think about the ways in which we still have public health priorities and public health goals that we need to achieve, whether we're talking about addressing behavioral health and the inequities that exist around uh, criminal justice and over-criminalizing individuals who are uh, faced with behavioral health issues, whether we're talking about the intersection of chronic disease like hypertension, asthma, diabetes connected to housing and, and food sovereignty, uh, or we're talking about our environmental uh, health concerns as well. And so that work does not stop. And so also continuing to advance um, our day-to-day -day work, working with healthcare systems to assure that uh, respectful care, uh, we're addressing birth inequities as well. So you know, under this role, it's it's continuing to support our our priorities, while which include 
uh, you know, aligning our equity work. And in talking about equitable access to healthcare services beyond the pandemic, can we also talk about the comprehensive strategies that the health department is using to ensure underserved New Yorkers are getting these services? And also, what is the health department doing um, to ensure equitable access to COVID-19 testing and also the COVID-19 vaccine? Yeah, certainly. You know, I think I think we have to start off by, you know, how important it was uh, to use data to really illuminate the issue and amplify how structural racism plays into these inequities. So it wasn't enough for us to just show uh, that, um, you know, we were seeing black and brown communities experience higher rates of death. They were double than other communities, white communities and New York City. That is one point, but you have to put it into context. And this is where inequities really get, you know, we can be clear about the context of why we are, we're talking about inequities and not just disparities. Because when you're saying disparities, you're talking about a difference. When you're talking about inequities, you're rooting this in the context of, you know, the environment of racism, structural racism. And so we know that uh, black and brown communities were uh, experiencing higher rates of exposure to COVID-19, not by choice, but because they were more likely to be working in frontline essential roles uh, and that did lead to higher rates of exposure. We also knew that, you know, we see higher rates of overcrowding uh, in black and brown communities. And we know that families are living in multi-generational homes. And many of those folks who are living in multi-generational homes are also serving in those frontline essential workers um, roles from nursing to grocery store workers. And so how can you ensure that you're protecting those who are most vulnerable or, or are in conditions that are putting them in or putting them at risk? Uh, and so that our data is really important really, to be able to contextualize those challenges and then to come up with those solutions. And so testing was really important. And so we were using our data to be able to identify where we're seeing higher rates of cases, where we're seeing higher rates of hospitalizations and move our resources into those neighborhoods so that we can do more testing. But the partnership is also important. And so our partnerships with Houses of Worship with community-based organizations is also part of that strategy of, of being equitable because then you're, you're ensuring that you're using trusted messengers, trusted voices to connect those resources to ensure that individuals who are most vulnerable, individuals who may not be as connected to care are getting tested. And we're using and expanding that same strategy into our vaccine rollout, using our data, to identify where the gaps are, where we need to get to uh, the individuals who are most vulnerable. Certainly working with our task force for racial inclusion and equity to ensure uh, that we're partnering with organizations, houses of worship to serve as trusted messengers, speaking about the science, the facts around the vaccine, but also helping individuals match to appointments. Most of our sites across New York City are in neighborhoods that have experienced long-standing uh, inequities, but also have had been experiencing disproportionate impact to COVID-19. And those are the intentional ways. Access is important, but to ensure that individuals know that those access points are for them that live in that community is also making sure that you're partnering with those communities 
in the community-based organizations and community leaders to ensure that you're getting folks to those access points. So those are the different ways, but certainly um, we understand that there is confidence uh, or lack of confidence both in the system as well as in the vaccine. And so addressing those issues has to be our work uh, as government uh, to ensure that we're earning the trust of New Yorkers and everyday people, that they know that this vaccine is for them and that we're really trying to wrap our arms around them to make sure they're getting the vaccine. And I'm glad that you mentioned trust and working with community organizations and houses of worship, because when we think about the you know, black community, there has been a lot of skepticism about taking the vaccine. So it is integral that we work with trusted networks within communities to build that trust so that we can get people vaccinated. Absolutely. When we look at language access, uh, and that's another key component of equity, as we know, New York City is diverse. So can you tell our listeners about some of the procedures that are in place to provide equitable language access for those who need it? Yeah, and I think that this also can connect to the other point that you were making about, um, you know, the the hesitancy. uh, And, you know, and I think this also can connect to language access. So I'll just sort of take a moment to unpack this because I think with the hesitancy, what we've always tried to shift this to is how we need to build confidence building confidence in the vaccine and building confidence in the structures and systems that are helping us get vaccines out to the people who need them, ultimately to everyone, right? Because right now we do not have vast supply for the vaccine. So we have to be able to prioritize those who are most vulnerable, uh, those who have been most impacted by COVID-19, get them the vaccine as quickly as possible, because we also know that there are variants that are out there. Um, and so we do not want individuals who have been highly exposed or who have been most impacted to be reinfected. We do not want individuals who are in the conditions that we know increase your risk of exposure to, to get infected as well. So we want to get to them first, as, you know, and then ultimately get to the, the wider public. Um, and so I will say that, you know, when I say that it is on, the, on government to really work to ensure that we are supporting communities, you know, I think the important part is, you know, one, validating the concerns that are coming up. Um, and that's across communities. That's not only, you know, you know, speaking about uh, the Tuskegee uh, experiment or even talking about the, the, you know, atrocities done to enslaved Africans through gynecological procedures done by like Dr. Marion Sims is also talking about the experimentations that have happened in Latin communities and also in tribal communities. It's messaging and validating these concerns that we know have happened in the past. And to say that this is not what's happening now, and here's how I can show you. And we have to say it in, in, in the languages in which people can understand. And so in sharing information and talking about the vaccines, we are interpreting the, the slides that we're doing, the fact sheets that we're doing in the languages for the communities. Our animations are in the top 13 languages from Haitian Creole to Spanish to Arabic, as well as English. The, the videos that we're, we're doing, we're also interpreting um, and also have, have translated uh, into, into other languages. 
in addition, the access points. And so when people are showing up, uh, you know, I worked at a pod, we have two people on site, you know, sometimes one, but mostly often it's two people on site. Our language access and disability access uh, support coordinator is there to, uh, you know, identify if someone needs interpretation. If we have it on site, we provide it immediately. If not, we'll use a language line. We're also supporting individuals who um, are seniors who are coming in, um, how we're supporting them or anyone that has disability needs. And so really being able to ensure that individuals who are showing up, uh, that we're accommodating them as they are uh, arriving uh, to receive their vaccine. And so we, we have to make sure that New Yorkers are feeling represented, right, when they're coming to our sites um, and when they're calling or when they're signing up for an appointment. Um, you know, in, in addition, it's, it's being able to also see folks who look like you getting vaccinated. And also the reason why as one of the, you know, the top health officials, I have gotten vaccinated because I trust the science. I know that it's safe. I know that it's effective, uh, the vaccines and the vaccines save lives. And so that's also important as well. I think it's a verbal uh, communication, but it's also the nonverbal that has been really, really powerful uh, as we are seeing New Yorkers uh, get, get vaccinated, sign up for appointments, um, and really work with us to ensure that others are, are connecting to the vaccine as well. Wonderfully said. And it goes back to what we say often on Prep Talk is that in order for inequities to be resolved or to even bridge the gap, it requires us to work with the, our communities. It can't just be, you know, one piece of the puzzle. Everybody has to be involved to ensure that our communities are healthy and they're safe. Uh, so thank you, Dr. Easterling. One final question before we go to rapid response time. When we look at the pandemic, we talked about social injustices in this country, especially even over the last year. Do you have any advice that you would give to communities to inspire them and give them hope and encouragement? Yeah, I, I would say that uh, the communities have already given me hope. And I think that the way in which communities have organized uh, over the past you know, year, uh, supporting individuals through this pandemic, then getting through, we would say one of the most important elections that we have experienced in decades, and now preparing ourselves to receive this vaccine and hopefully get to the end of this pandemic. And I think um, I would say that uh, the tools, the knowledge, the wisdom is already within us, and we can do this together. Um, but we have to you know, do this in a way that we are communicating, supporting, sharing the right information uh, so that we can continue to get to a point where folks are getting the vaccine, one supply is more available, um, but then also, you know, ensuring that we're getting, but in, until then, getting to communities and uh, residents that are most vulnerable. And so how do we support that? Um, we share facts. Um, we share the, uh, we share how people can get connected to appointments. And I know that there are many community partners that are already standing up, stepping up to really work with their residents and their clients to do that. And I think that's the that has been inspiring to me to continue to see this throughout New York City. Speaking with Dr. Easterling from the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, it is rapid response time. And if you are a first time listener, it's simple. Omar and I will ask questions and our guest will give the first answer that comes to mind. 
But before rapid response, here is a message from New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. Your daughter doesn't want to talk about why her room is a horrible mess. Your son doesn't want to talk about why he's wearing mismatching socks. Your spouse doesn't want to talk about their bad haircut. Families don't have to talk about everything, but they should talk to plan for an emergency. Pack basic supplies in a go bag, water, canned food, flashlights, batteries, medical supplies, IDs, and some cash. Talk about where you'll meet in case you lose one another. And of course, don't forget to pack the dog treats. Talk to your family and make an emergency plan. Go to nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311 to make your family's emergency plan. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response. Dr. Easterling, what is the one emergency item that you cannot live without? Uh, my first aid kit. Spoken like a true medical professional. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Easterling, what is the best leadership advice you have ever received? Always be prepared to take the next challenge, even when you're not prepared. I like that very much. Um, and on the lighter side, do you have a favorite food? Uh, oh, man, lots of lots of food. Uh, I'm going to say my mother's eggplant. <laughs> Can't go wrong with mama's cooking. Not That's at good. all. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get even lighter here. Knicks or Nets? Be careful. So I know. I'm, I'm, I'm a Lakers fan. Let me, I got to say oh, that. Oh, my I'm, goodness. This but, is um, over. This is over. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I live in Brooklyn, uh, so I'm going with the Nets. Okay. And, the, and, and the Nets used to be in Jersey, so I have to go with the Nets. Okay. We'll, we'll take that. But what is the Lakers about? Is it, is it Kobe? I no, no. I, I've been a Lakers fan since the 80s when Magic, Kareem, Michael, all of them. Uh, I guess not Michael Dino. Not, I'm thinking Michael Thompson, Michael Cooper, but. <laughs> all right. No, it's fine. We'll, you know what? We'll accept it. That's okay. We'll give you a pass this time. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, sum up the work you do in one word. Hmm. One word. Change. That's a great one. I don't think we've ever had change as a uh, a word you do it uh, the work you do in one word, Omar. No, that's a first, but I like it because it I like speaks, it. Yeah, it speaks really to the times that we're in, uh, and you know, working towards equity. So uh, I'm here for it. I like it. So speaking with Dr. Torian Easterling, first deputy commissioner and chief equity officer of the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. If you want to learn more about how New York City is taking steps to ensure equity in health, you can visit nyc.gov forward slash health or contact 311. That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared. 